We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. As well, check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to Good see morning, you all. Good morning, Scott. Uh, today, tax deductions versus tax credits. What's yes. the difference here? I well, thought you were going to say Masters Weekend. Sorry. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win tomorrow? Uh, I, I thought we were here to talk about finance. Yes. I, yes, I thought I could yes. hear the clubs jingling D- in the background. Couldn't you tell by Don's green jacket? That's <laughs> it. That's it. Yes. yes. He's a former winner or perhaps just a... Just <laughs> a wannabe. Or just uh, someone that works like at the Fortino's uh, green department. <laughs> I think a lot of us would love to be former winners, but only one yeah. Canadian has been. Yeah, And that was right. Mike Weir, but... Uh, Yes, it's uh, g- always an interesting weekend. It's almost like the shotgun for golf for any golfers yeah, out there. especially yeah. here in Canada, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tax deductions versus tax credits. We're, we're, de- we're down to the kind of the near end of when you got to get that tax return in. Right. And uh, the t- uh, April 30th, mm. you must get it in. Yeah. Even if you owe money and you simply just put it in, you don't have the money to pay for it. Right. Send it in. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're going to pay a 5% penalty on what you owe. Now, if you don't owe, if you don't owe, then no issue. problem, not a big issue, except you should get it done. You should get it done because yeah. what happens, and we've seen this before, is people will just procrastinate putting it in. Oh, I was going to get a refund anyway. Yeah. And then another year goes by, mm. another year goes by. Well, what they don't have is a, a, a current notice of assessment. Right. And it tells them how much they can con- contribute to RSPs. Mm-hmm. So, and I came across this uh, just about a month ago. And somebody hadn't done it for, oh, a good four years. Really? And they might have over-contributed to their RSP, but there was no way of knowing because right. the last one was 2013. Right. And so to look at that and say, just get it done. It makes every, it's one of those things, just check off the Canadian list of things to do. Because yeah. we all have to do it. And I'm sure it doesn't get easier the longer time oh, goes by. it doesn't. And, and the government gets a little antsy, so eventually they're going to force you to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the big issue there is if you do over-contribute to your RSP, even if you unknowingly did, when they go back to resubmit all your tax returns, n- n- there's, a wh- there's a quite the penalties, an interest penalty that started from the day of that on over-contribution. Mm-hmm. And that would have carried on for however long. So it's it's tricky. So again, as we most the ninety nine percent of Canadians are very good at doing their their civic duty or so and the citizens and and off they do go and get that thing done. Now, what you have to do with the difference from a tax deduction and tax credit, first of all, a tax deduction is based on your marginal tax bracket. So if wherever that rate is, so I'm gonna go over these the different brackets right now. So if you made between twenty thousand and forty four thousand you're in a 20% tax bracket. 44,000 of about 48,000, you're in a 24% tax bracket. 47,000 to 77,000, which captures a lot of people, you're in a 29.65% tax bracket. And then there's a whole bunch of little ones between 77 and 95,000. There's a 31% bracket, a 34% bracket, and a 38% bracket, all in that little $18,000 area. But then there's another very large bracket between 95,000 and 147,000, which captures a lot of people. It's a 43% tax bracket. Mm. Once you're over 220,000, you're in a 53%, 53.5% tax bracket. So looking at those brackets, you know, you say, okay, well, if I had a, a $10,000 deduction and you made $105,000, 
that would save you at the 43.41% right. bracket. Mm-hmm. So that would save you $4,341. Now, if you had a $10,000 deduction and you were only making 44000 that would only save you about $2,000 in tax. Right. Okay. Now, a credit is really, it's not, a, it doesn't come off your, your income. So it doesn't affect, uh, say, your, your net income or your taxable income. It's simply a credit. And there's lots of credits, things such as your age credit. Um, everybody alive gets a personal credit mm-hmm. uh, just for filing a tax return of just over 11000 But then there's an age credit, and that decreases the more money you make. But mm-hmm. you have to be 65 or older to get that. There's a disability credit. And that one's a one you have to apply for, and your doctor has to help apply, fill in a form, and send that in, and see if you qualify for that. That one's about just over eight thousand dollar credit. Well, the credit is at the lowest tax bracket, call it twenty percent. So you're going to get this age credit, uh, sorry, a disability credit of eight thousand less twenty, you know, times that by twenty percent is about sixteen hundred dollars per year. Mm-hmm. So if they go back and say it's been five years that you could have claimed that disability right. credit, yeah. It'd be five times $1,600 per year. Yeah. Okay, so that becomes a little bit more substantial, and they will give you a check retroactive for those years you, until that first you know, instance of that disability occurred. Right. And it's not based on the number of days in the year. It's whenever in the year. So if you're disabled December 31st of that year, you qualify for that year. Right. If it was January 1st of that year, it's still just one year. Right. There's no difference there. Pension credit. That one's a one that seems to be missed a lot. It's not a big one. It's a $2,000 credit. So just over $400 savings. But this is if you get a, a defined benefit plan from your employer, you start receiving a pension, you would qualify for that $2,000 per year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you do not have a pension through your employer that is paying you so many dollars a month through like an annuity and it's guaranteed for life, then you have to wait till 65 to claim that pension credit using your RSPs. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say using your RSPs, you m- must move your RSPs to a RIF. And once in a RIF, it then pays you $2,000 a year, and then you get to claim that credit. Right. It can't just come directly from the RSP. Right. This is the one mistake a lot of people make. They, For one thing, they, they don't even do it. They wait till 71 to draw down their RSPs, and they miss this credit for six years. And the other thing is, both you and your spouse could have this credit and you could take 4,000 out and move 2,000 to the other spouse. Mm-hmm. So that's that's now you know, a little over $400, um, sorry, $800 savings per year. And, and you know what, to be honest, <laughs> even if it was $200 or $100, I'll do anything to, yeah. you know, why not get the, that money back? Okay. Sure. So whether it's a credit, generally speaking, most people like the deductions over the credits because they're in a higher bracket than 20%. So then you look at what type of deductions are there? And the one that we just finished going through recently was that RSP time. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you, you have this RSP deduction, which would come off your income. Now, this is where you'd want to look at both you and your spouse, if you're married or common law, and say, who would get, who's in the highest tax bracket? Because since it is a deduction off your income, if one spouse is making you know, call it a hundred thousand, and the other spouse is earning eighty thousand, uh, uh, say seventy-five thousand. Well, one's going to get a deduction for forty-three yeah. percent, where the other is only going to get a deduction for about thirty percent. Right. Um, so that same ten thousand dollar RSP 
is going to have a, a significant difference in refund. Mm-hmm. So it's about $1,300 savings. Yeah. And so unfortunately, people often start almost putting their their money in silos. I said, this is my money, this is their, her money or his money. Right. And they don't work together on this. And, and, that, and this is just really hurts you tax-wise. Yeah. Because if you're trying to build up one person a low tax bracket and ignoring the person that could have had the higher tax deduction, you're costing your family money mm-hmm. that is rightfully yours. You just didn't have the right plan on how to get that deduction. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do in that case is you know look at using a spousal RSP where the higher income earner gets the deduction, but the lower income earner is the owner of the RSP. And therefore coming out, when it, you know, therefore that person owns it. And when it comes to drawing the money out, would therefore pay the tax on it, right. the lower income earner. Um, Childcare is another deduction. Childcare is one of those ones where the lower income earner must claim that one. So this is often a one, should I go back to work or not? <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. And if I'm going to work really part time and I'm only going to make 15,000 a year, you're not going to even probably even get to claim the childcare expenses because your income's too low. Right. Because it's the lowest income earner. Now, if you're a, you've got a good job and you want to go back and you're making $80,000 a year when you go back, well, yes, you're going you're gonna to get some of the tax savings at 33%, 31%, and, and, and possibly 30%. So it definitely, you know, advantage to go back to work f- mm-hmm. on, from a tax perspective. Right. Never mind sanity. A lot of people just yeah. need to go back to work, yeah. okay? But this is strictly on the, on the deduction size mm-hmm. side. Now, the one uh, that I have found people are missing recently is the advisory fee. Now, I know within IG Wealth Management, we send it out in our, in our statement what the advisory fee would be. It's, I, I don't know, maybe they need to put a, a red marker around it. Mm. It, is, it is at the front page. Make it look like your electricity bill? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you need to claim. Yeah. It, it's at the back of our of the December 31st statement a lot of the institutions do the same thing where they they keep track of it for you but it is not a separate it's not like a T3 slip or a T5 slip mm-hmm. you have to check it out either online or on your statement and this is why it's missed people never miss those slips that are sent to you specifically yeah. but if it's mixed in with your statement it often gets missed mm-hmm. this one's huge this is a pure deduction so, you know, depending on the size of your portfolio, the advisory fee is tax deductible for any advice given basically on non-registered assets. Mm-hmm. So it, it would not qualify for your tax-free savings account or your RSP RSPs. or your RIFs right. or your RESPs, anything to do with the government, but it does qualify for the non-registered investments. Right. And that can be sizable. So if you've got a $10,000 advisory fee, again, just like an RSP, at your tax bracket would save you whatever tax bracket you're in. The one that... Is prob- I, I was actually shocked when they allowed this one way, way back. I think it, uh, it goes back, I think 2006 rings a bell, but I could be wrong. Pension splitting. And this is where you can split your, your pension on your tax return. Mm-hmm. The only exception to this is Canada Pension Plan. You cannot, if one spouse is getting, say, 1000 a year in Canada Pension Plan, the other one's getting 10000 a year, you cannot split that. Mm-hmm. You must go to uh, the Canada Pension Plan office, go online and get that split, physically split. They look at your marriage certificate on that. Mm -hmm. So that one's separate. And a lot of people think they're splitting that because quite often an accountant or somebody's doing their tax return and they just assume it's split. The Canada Pension Plan will not be split on your tax return. Mm -hmm. 
the other is. All the other pension money is split. And so if there's a, in a, in a, let's say the husband is earning, you know, a higher tax bracket income, and, and we can go through a scenario, but if the husband or the wife is earning a higher bracket and, and moves the money over to the, the lower income spouse to add money from a high bracket to a low bracket, mm-hmm. um, it can be a sizable difference. And uh, what I want to do is uh, go over an exact scenario I went, I came across in the last week of how much money this can save you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Talking about tax deductions versus tax credits. Yes, yes. And we just finished off there with um, one of the biggest deductions is really pension splitting. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you, as, as we just mentioned, where you move from the higher income spouse pension, you can up to 50%. So if one spouse has got a pension of $30,000, they can move up to 15,000 to the lower income spouse. Now, great thing is on these on on all the pen, on the um, tax return software, there's a pension optimization button. Mm-hmm. And I just used it on the weekend before and and I think it was F10 and you hit that button on Cantax and and 39% of my father-in-laws went to my mother-in-laws or vice versa. Right. So it figures out the exact percentage for you cuz otherwise you would have to go up and down, up and down and trying to figure out mm. what that would be. But I just came across an example, oh, just uh, about a week ago, where the, the, call it the wife was earning about 60000 a year and the husband was earning 111000 a year. And they're both over 65 years old. So they both qualify for the old age security. Now, with the old age security, once you make over about $76,000 in 2018, you start losing 15 cents on every dollar you make over that amount. Mm-hmm. So it's like a hidden tax on top of already a high tax bracket. So I, you know, I looked at the situation. I suggested, well, you, what you should do in this case is move 16000 from the husband over to the wife. Mm-hmm. And that would bring her income up to 76000 so she would get her full old age security, and bring his income to 95000 which coincidentally also gets rid of the full 43% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So by moving the money, just the tax savings alone, not the old age security, but the tax savings, by moving that, you're saving 13% differential because rather than him paying at 43%, you know, he's now moving it over to somebody paying 30%. Mm-hmm. So there's a 13 and actually it's actually over 13, but just call it 13% differential in terms of tax savings. That works out to a savings of $2,080. Just that. And that's after tax money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then on top of that, he now will get more of his old age security because he's now moved $16,000 off his income. And that means $16,000 now qualifies more of it because he's been already in the clawback zone. Mm -hmm. 16,000 more qualifies for old age security, which works out to $2,400 more old age security he's going to get. Right. So, uh, sure, you have to pay tax on this old age security. So, there is about $1,000 in tax to pay. So, after tax, 
he's going to get about $1,400 of old age security after tax, plus the, the, the uh, 2080. So altogether, it's about a $3,500 amount in his pocket after tax. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had to work that out on a year, that's practically $300 a month added to your income, yeah. like uh, on a net basis. You know, I don't know anybody that would turn this down. Now, I do have the odd couple that has issues with with doing this, and I don't see a downside to this at all. Um, some want to keep their income separate mm-hmm. because of uh, confidentiality. It's usually always second marriages. In fact, yeah. in every case I've come across, it's always a second marriage. Right. And the only thing I could suggest <coughs> is, is that, okay, we won't share our incomes, but my accountant says this makes sense. Mm-hmm put them all together, and then we won't look at each other's tax returns. Right, yeah. Whatever it is, um, the only situation I found that it didn't work out was when, unfortunately, one of my clients was uh, getting dementia. Mm. And the deal was he would have to pay his wife, which was a lower income spouse, her, the extra tax because right. she's, he's moved money to, his, to her tax return. Right. But he always forgot to because <laughs> he had dementia. Right. So that was the only downside. So as long as you pay that extra, your wife is in no worse situation. And in this case, the husband would be in a far better situation. So it's a fantastic thing. And this is every year you get to do this. Mm-hmm. So this person here in this example, as long as they're both alive and their incomes are about the same, this is in their pocket $300 per month forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a fantastic thing. So make sure you do claim that pension splitting, okay? And I know Andy's got a whole bunch of other tax issues to talk about. Yeah, I know. And I just want to piggyback on that um on the pension splitting situation. And I know I've run into the same scenario okay. where couples together and a lot of times, you know, it's not uncommon today to see um, couples, clients of mine that are in their 70s and 80s, they're not remarrying, they're just simply living together. Right. And so they're in a common law relationship and technically should be filing as if they are married because right. they've been together for at least uh, a couple of years. And, um, but... As is often the case, you know, sometimes that common law, that second relationship, there may have been issues financially in the previous relationship. There may have been just a, a general um, sense of independence around, you know, I don't want to rely on your money. You've sure. got your money. Mm-hmm. I've got my money. And that's particularly true because they're worried about, and, and their adult children or their grandchildren, mm-hmm. they're worried about, is their inheritance getting, you know, yeah. uh, at risk with this new relationship? So it, this sort of glass wall between them tends to be pretty strong. Mm-hmm. and they tend to file independently. Yeah. And so even though you show the benefits of doing yeah. this together, uh, it really is mostly just a win on one side, right? Yeah, the government's winning. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> government's winning. Yeah. But on the other hand, just the pension splitting, it, it, anybody who's in the low-income spouse, it doesn't change their position. Right. It only right. helps the high-income spouse right. or right. partner partner in this case. So as Don said, there usually has to be a shuffle of money between them to make sure it right. all evens out. Mm-hmm. And that gets awkward. And it's yeah. just, you know, but... For 90, you know, 80 to 90% of the cases, people follow through with the pension splitting and yeah. it makes sense. So if you're one of those couples that are sort of working with this glass wall and avoiding the pension splitting, just revisit it and revisit it. You're, you'll get comfortable with it eventually and hopefully you'll make make the, the right financial decision to do right. it and you can both still be protected. I think mm-hmm. that's the key thing. 
And on top of that, you mm-hmm. can, if you finally do get through that glass wall, as Andy mentioned, you can actually go and backfile for the years you didn't do it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and get back a whole lot of money. Yeah. So I'd honestly rather, because you, rightfully you deserve the, the, the money. Mm-hmm. I'd rather see that money go to any other fund. Go to your kids, go to your grandkids, but make sure you, you claim this because it's simply a check written between the two of you. And it's, uh, I'd rather see that far greater than um, just mm-hmm. simply paying extra money to the government. Right. I think as Canadians, we're pretty good at filing our returns. And uh, and actually, a good friend of mine who is not one of those Canadians, <laughs> uh, he, he uh, and, and I had to challenge him Wait on this. Wait a second. He's your friend. <laughs> yeah. If, if, yeah. You, if you can't convince him, who can? It's, it's like that glass wall. Yeah, there you go. You <laughs> can't explain it. Uh, I think, you know, he, he'll go in spurts and spits where he will file, 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 and then he won't file. And mm, well, anyway. Right. And so I kept saying, well, why aren't you filing? And, and, and here's the worst part of it all, Don, is that he would actually was owed money. So he yeah, could get money back. Exactly. And this is often the case, right? Because now there's no pressure. Yep. So, and, and there's a, por- a, por- a portion of his income was commissions. So there's self-employed stuff that he has to get all the receipts and mm-hmm. do all this stuff for. So the effort of doing it all. Yeah. Just at the time was, if things were going on in your life, it mm-hmm. was too overwhelming. And then once you sort of pass the deadline, yeah. now it's really I'm easy free. to forget yeah. it, right? I'm free. Yeah. yeah, they owe me money anyway. Why yeah. do I have to bother? That's right. So honest to gosh, this four years went by yeah. where he had not filed and was owed money. And I kept bugging him, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it? So, well... I look at it like an emergency reserve. <laughs> you know, if I need the money. The government emergency the, the reserve. The government emergency oh, reserve. Oh, if I, and they if, pay a high rate, I Yeah, yeah I know. If yeah. I was out of work for a while and I needed the, you know, the 10 grand they I'll owe me. I'll just file my income I'll tax. just go, I'll <laughs> go to work while I'm unemployed uh, in terms of my job will be getting my taxes table, done yeah. at the kitchen table for the next <laughs> month, getting my taxes done, zero percent filing return. my return and getting my cash back. So... It's a. Uh, it was definitely a roller coaster of returns, <laughs> years being done oh. and years not being done. Even worse when they owe money and there's and they could use that refund to pay down debt. Yeah, yeah. If they yeah, if they were getting a yeah, refund, yeah. that's point. true. And, and oh yeah, there's all. Trust me, there, we know there's all <laughs> kinds of reasons, right? <laughs> Never mind investing so, it or anything else. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you just uh, you just kind of walk away and. <clears throat> Uh, you want to that's why you stay friends. That's why you're the financial you planner. You want to stay friends, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that are not filing, <laughs> here are the reasons why you should be filing and those that actually need to file. First of all, if you're, as I said, claiming a refund. So in order to get your refund, you have to file. Um, that should be incentive right There's there. no deadline. This is the problem yeah. because, you know, April 30th can come and go. They owe you money. You don't file. They don't care. Yep. They're not going to send you the money until you file. If you had capital gains and losses last year, mm-hmm. so you sold an investment and there was either a gain on it or there was a loss on it, you have to file. Yeah. This these so there are certain times or or transactions where CRA is going to come down hard in terms of you need to get this mm-hmm. filed and this uh, this this data put into the system. If you sold your principal residence in 2018. Uh, now, this was m- much more loosey-goosey in the past, but now the rules have hardened quick mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, tracking the principal residence transactions. And so if, that's, if you sold the residence last year, you have to file. Big one, as Don has mentioned, splitting pension income. The only way you can split pension income is if both people file, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have both ends of the equation on that. 
If you want to receive, or sorry, you have received or want to receive the Canada Child Benefit, that has that's an income tested benefit. You have right. to be able to uh, f- you have to file the returns to be able to qualify for that every year, year, and that would be the same for GST and HST credits. It's also uh, a requirement to file to get your GIS, Guaranteed Income Supplement. Mm -hmm. Most people that are receiving Guaranteed Income Supplement are highly motivated to file because this is a main source of income. So they usually are always filing. I'd be surprised to see someone isn't. If you have um, income that you've earned that will create RRSP room, and uh, this could, even a small amount of income mm-hmm. generates RSP room at any age. And so that is something that's an important time to file. And I'll revisit that one later on in a second. <clears throat> if you are transferring or carrying forward tuition credits. So this is a big one in terms of students who often don't pay any tax, right? right? And, uh, but yet they want to transfer tuition credits to a parent or grandparent. In order to be able to do that, or, or to have those tuition credits carried forward to for future years where your income may be higher, you have to file a return. Yeah. Has to be done. Uh, if you had self-employed earnings over 3500 bucks, and therefore you're going to have to make Canada Pension Plan contributions, you need to file a return. How, old, how long do you have to work? How old do you have to be in order to qualify for Canada Pension? How long do you have to be employed over your lifetime? Nine years. Nine years. You need a to contribute of, for nine years to get a pension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would it, it all, everybody's be the same then? It would be, right? No. no. You don't so get based the on earnings. It would be based on um, how many years you worked into it. Yes, exactly. How many years you worked in it, your earnings of the, each year. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Sorry. you have to hit the, there's, you know, there's a maximum Canada pension plan limit. Right. It's about 56,000. Right. And uh, that changes every year based on inflation. Right. And so if you maximize it every year, right. then you would get the maximum. Right. Which is about $1,154 right now. Right. But then they look at how many years you contributed. Right. And there's about seven dropout years you could miss. Right. And that, that don't hurt your totals. Right. But anything more than that right. would, would discount your totals. Right. Okay. There is that, there is, you know, just as you add to that equation, uh, and you think about, and I've often heard people say, well, I, at my work, I have a pension. And I've maxed out, mm-hmm. so why am I working? You know, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to get any more. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you can stop contributing in, in some cases. But uh, with Canada Pension Plan, you're still contributing even though you may have maxed out. Right. right? right so right. then your question is, ooh, do I stop working? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe now is the time. Right. At least I've already um, right. made the most I can make from yep. Canada Pension Plan. If you um, purchased a house using the home buyer's plan, or you had a lifelong learning plan. I'd, have you ever had a, a client use the lifelong learning plan? I had once. Yeah. Once the whole time. Yes. I, I've would. never in my 35 years had someone use it yet, but. Yes. Uh, Somebody who went during downsizing from DeFasco. Okay. Decided to go back and get uh, an education and uh, became actually a dental hygienist. Took mm. some money out of yes. their RSP. And and the and RSP to <laughs> help fund that. Oh. Okay. So in either that case, or if you use money to towards a down payment as a first time home buyer, under the home buyer's plan, and you need to make that repayment, you have to file a tax return to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, if you have to repay any EI benefits or old age security because of your income, again, it's an income tested uh, benefits, then uh, you have to file a return as well. So those are the main criterias and all the people that should be filing and why. The, uh, we'll forget about my friend. He's an exclusion. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, hope, he's, he, hope he's listening. Is he listening? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I should send him the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, the deadline is April 30th. The deadline's extended to June 15th. 
June 15th, if you or your spouse are reporting business income. Mm. Okay. So you get, they give you a little more time right. to be able to, to do that as well. Uh, but if you owe money, it's still yeah. going to be paid April 30th. Um, now, as far as children filing, this is, I think, an important one that often gets missed. And because you can, you're not going to pay any tax up to eleven thousand eight hundred nine dollars. Mm-hmm. So, but that generates RRSP room right. every single year you file. And so there's no there's no downside to uh, claiming babysitting income to pay uh, any cash income that you receive. Um, paper routes, like even if it's seven hundred bucks, like. Yeah. File a return. Electronic return is so simple or to file. Or a part-time job that's below the level. It yeah. yeah. You're not going to pay any tax. There's, yeah. not, there's no repercussions. But it, let's say you earned $5,000 right. a, as a young you know, student working right. and doing some part-time stuff. That's $900 of RRSP room in right. the future that right. you've now created for yourself. And that might be an important thing. People, I know a lot of people, well, I, never, I haven't even maxed my RRSPs, so mm. what difference does it make? But uh, a lot of times as a young person, when you first get your big job you yeah. can you can use that money to uh, use save taxes if you're over 19 you can get the GST and HST credit and that works out to about 430 up to 430 bucks a year so that's an important one again students and anybody over the age of 19 when we come back i want to talk a little bit about forgotten slips how what the filing methods are and uh, and what happens if you need to make a change to your return All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Taking a break, we're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call promptly. 905-529-7165. Or don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Forgotten slips, tips, and traps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. There you go. Don't you say that three times yeah, fast. This was a pretty this was a pretty uh, common occurrence, and it still is, where you'll file your return and then all of a sudden you know, a, several months later, you'll get a reassessment mm-hmm. and it'll basically, in the explanation, it'll say um, unreported slips right. and it'll say the source of the slip, which company it came from and, you know, and, and the type of slip it should have been. Was right. it a T3 or a T5? And, um, and and the issue around this is that you can pay a penalty mm-hmm. and they can go back three years in this scenario to assess a penalty on missed slips. And... Um, uh, and I think that this was probably a, maybe a bit of a needle in a haystack. I remember like a decade ago that it was described to me that our head office would send an electronic tape that would actually have all of a, like the SIN numbers mm-hmm. of clients with an associated number of slips and the, and the slips and there was some kind of um, numeric numbers that basically told CRA how many slips somebody got from our company. And I thought, boy, that's got to be, I imagine someone at the other end, how, how, how hard is that to sort of match up Mm -hmm. still? Because they weren't really, I don't think the systems were talking to each other. Right. But I did this uh, just about a a month ago. 
a client of mine sent me a notice of a reassessment and it was from 2017 Mm -hmm. and it was for two slips that were missed a t5 and a t3 from our company from ig private wealth and um and I, and I, we, I couldn't answer the question for them. Like, is it something that we mailed to them, right. but they just didn't open it or send it to the, the accountant? Did it come late? So we sort of did a little bit of research, couldn't find any clear evidence as to what went wrong. And it's either, you know, was it the accountant's fault mm-hmm. that didn't get put in? Did they give it to, you know, so there's all kinds of what if scenarios in this, but it happens fairly frequently where obviously somebody forgets a slip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed this, uh, it happened to my children once because they had multiple jobs mm-hmm. throughout the year. And um, I think the one employer where they, they made like a small amount of money, maybe it was three, 400 bucks, the T4, I think the employer just gave it to them, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they never gave it to me right, to, right. when they filed the return, filed the return, notice of a set reassessment came back mm. and they, what I have to pay, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so it, it does happen. The good news is, well, maybe it's not good news, but the good news is now is that you, there is a, uh, under your, my account, and this is an important thing, and I know we talked about it uh, last week as well, but my my account, you go to CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, the website, and or just Google my account, M-Y-A-C-C-O-U-N-T, and you will go directly to the CRA's website that allows you to sign in or sign up for mm-hmm. an online access to all of your tax information. Right. And so it's, there's a wealth of information there, everything from exactly what we're just talking about. So you can actually go in and see all the slips mm-hmm. that were sent uh, by your institution right. to Revenue Canada and to yourself. So you can kind of double check. And I think um, most tax preparers today, if you've uh, allowed them to be my representative or what's called my representative, where they can go in and look on your behalf, right. then they can double check to make sure that they've got all the slips so we don't end up with a reassessment, don't end up with a penalty for yeah. missing these slips as well. So tip today uh, everybody's thinking about taxes right now. Sign up for my account. Uh, it is a fantastic service. Mm. Okay. And the filing methods, what percentage of people do you think are filing electronically today? Wow. I would say, um, 75%. Mm. Up. 80. 80? Up. 90? 90%. Yeah. Wow. 90%. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was, I just was quickly, I couldn't find the numbers, but I would have been interested to see a graph, say, over the last five mm-hmm. years to see how that has accelerated. A lot um, of it is because they mm-hmm. actually forced accountants to do that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there was no right. choice. They actually said, if you're doing over a certain amount of returns. How long ago did that happen, I wonder? I think it was about four or five years okay. ago. Okay. And I know my dad is a CA, and all of a sudden yeah. he had no choice. He was doing the paper filing the whole way, but all of a sudden yeah. he hit a year and it was no choice, and he had to go the other way. Now he's so happy he did. Yeah. Yeah. He loves yeah. it. But So 10% of people are still uh, filing with paper, and mm-hmm. Don and I are both putting our hands up. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, I think every year I do the same rant, but I figure I'm going to send them all my paper. And that way they never, if they ever have to ask me for something to confirm, that can say, you've already got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sent it to you. Mm-hmm. And there's no need for, I can, then I can literally close the file, mm-hmm. put it away in my filing cabinet and not have to worry about right. digging out a slip later mm-hmm. on when they say, can you please send us your charitable receipts? Because we need confirmation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but paper filing is still there and, um, 
you can self you can if you file sorry if you prepare your tax return yourself so you've gone out and bought a piece of software mm-hmm. from Staples or Best Buy whatever and you can then it'll be a qualified tax software you can net file mm-hmm. and net file is how we would file it as an individual when we're doing it ourselves if you've taken your taxes to a tax preparer they are going to e-file. Yeah. So they would have a contract with CRA to be able to file multiple returns right. electronically. And um, But basically, all of those allow you to, except for the paper filing, allow you to get CRA's what's called Express Notice of Assessment Service, mm-hmm. which means they almost instantaneously give you back your right. notice of assessment. Um, so we did, uh, my son was anxious this year. To, he had uh, overpaid taxes mm-hmm. uh, last year at his job and uh, they withheld too much and uh, was anxious to get back almost $1,400. So mm. we filed back in February as soon as he got his T4 wow. electronically. Yeah. And within, I think it was 12 days. So by mm. just around March 10th, 12th, he uh, he got his money back and he was happy. He said, now I'm, I'm good till I start my summer job. Yeah, perfect. perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, <clears throat> so the only other thing is that if you file your returns, if you have a low income, you can, uh, or fixed income, you can actually file by phone and CRA typically sends you a letter to say that you're eligible for that service. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private, well, uh, IG Private Wealth Management. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call promptly at 905-529-7165 and check out the website andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com tips traps and slips and yeah. stuff yeah. you got to remember <laughs> i know don's got a great segment here on financial education for for children so well i'll just finish up quickly as i say on paper filing now when i talk about paper filing we're using software and then printing the, the paper and right. sending it in but if you physically want to go and get the paper you can download the paper the, the forms yeah. from cra their web website that's assuming you have a computer and, and a printer and fill them in yeah. or you can go to i'm pretty sure you can still go down to the cra office and here in hamilton and pick up an actual hard copy yeah, of a return yeah, yeah they're still there yeah. and uh, finally if you need to make changes if it's your tax preparer that's doing the change they can just do a refile our e-file if it's um if you're you can also go for, if you're doing it yourself you can go to that my account mm-hmm. and go into change my return again you can make adjustments to any lines or add slips or some changes and finally if you did a paper file you can do that t1 adjustment send that in and that usually takes uh from four to six weeks to get back to you right perfect so you know we have all these listeners here and we're talking about financial education right now for kids Mm -hmm. but really what i'm looking you know all everybody who's listening right now is really is, is to get educated on financial matters every week with us which is fantastic so happy to listen to our our, uh, our listeners when they call in and mm-hmm. see us, and we, we frequently do that. But it, it's interesting. So a perfect example is Canada Pension Plan. What percentage of people collecting Canada Pension Plan started at age 60? Well, mm. I'm going to say 60%. 60%. Well, you're, it was actually the highest. It was 40%, 40.5%. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. At 65, 30% started at 65. Okay, so... That was the majority. There's 70% shot there, but only 4% started at age 70. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So very small number start at 70. Yet I went on a website 
this week and from an insurance company. And the, a person at age 60, male or female, smoker, heavy drinker, no exercise, <laughs> high stress. Worst case scenario, I, I hit all the worst things. Their life expectancy was still 81 for a male, 83 for a female. Now, if they were did everything right, 86 for male, 90 for female. Boy, five years just for yeah. being good? Yeah, yeah, five years staying on the right side of the grass, I guess. Jeez, is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> so, and so as I'm looking at this, if the break-even on your Canada pension plan, if you start at 65 versus 60, is about age, is age 74. Mm-hmm. Most people live past age 74, right. even in spite of everything they're trying to do to themselves. Right, right. And, and honestly, most people, a, a great majority live past age 82, mm-hmm. which is the difference between what should I start at 70 or 65. So here's a, a fantastic way to get some more money that you deservedly should get based on your contributions to Canada Pension Plan, it's just sitting down with a financial planner that knows your situation well, what what age should you start it? So that's a financial education from our standpoint, but it's amazing how much how much emotion gets involved with this decision. Oh, I better get it now because, you know, I, I want to get something out of this. You never know when I'm going to kick the bucket. And they Friends, can, relatives, and acquaintances and coworkers right. who all yeah. are saying you better get it. It's <laughs> not really what it comes down to. It's not. It's less about longevity and more about, well, I'd rather have the money now. I think it's an emotional decision. Yeah. Just all of a sudden, they were talking to their neighbor. It's never a financial planner they talk to, yeah. okay? It's always about talking to somebody, and they love the money they're getting. Mm-hmm. Well, of course they love it, but they're not going to get that index pension, and the break-even point where they would have got way more starts at about age 74. Right. And it's hard to see that far in advance when you're 60 years old. Mm-hmm. And you always look, well, my dad only lived to age 75. Who's this? Say, yeah. I'll live that long. Yeah. But, you know, all these actuarial tables say you're going to live a lot longer than you think. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I think, okay, that's the adult education section of this part. What about the kids' education? And it's amazing how many adults are trying to teach their kids about money. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy to, happy to see that. And they actually did a study in uh, 2018 from T. Rowe Price. 45% of parents um, in a survey said that they are, have a talk to their kids either occasionally or frequently about the importance of investing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. Just having the conversation gets the kids to start thinking about money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm probably very biased because both my kids have been knowing me from all their lives, thankfully. And, uh, <laughs> and they talk about money and what they should be doing. My son's now in the business. My mm-hmm. daughter, she's still very up to date on, on, on the value of investing or paying down debt and, and mm-hmm. very good with that kind of thing. And it's probably because they hear it all the time sure. versus somebody yeah. that doesn't hear it. Yeah. And I go back to the days, and I don't know about you, Andy, but there was a board game called Stock Ticker way mm. back. I have it. <laughs> so, yeah, look at that. I <laughs> miss Playing at the one. cottage all the time. Yeah. yeah. What a great game. And I got to say, that there, when, you know, when I'm 12 or 13 years old, was a game that really hit home with me. And I said, wow, this is really kind of cool. Does it really work like that? And I started to talk to my father about investing and why it worked. And, and it was all oil, silver. They had only like four categories mm-hmm. in that game. Very simple. But it's been proven that if you get your kids hands-on mm-hmm. with some type of game or app or any kind of website, they'll, it'll hit home a lot harder. Yeah. And they'll actually start to do a lot. And the key to this is you don't, it's a lot better, even if it's virtual money. Let's go put some virtual money. Now, really, that stock ticker was just a virtual money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did find a whole bunch of quarters in the game of my dad, so maybe he was <laughs> using real money uh, <laughs> with whoever he played with. But 
the whole point is better to lose a, a little bit of money, um, either virtually or even if you're just teaching kids how to invest and they say, here's $100 mm-hmm. and what, what stocks do you want to buy? And they're just putting a very small amount of money in the market. Um, probably the c- cost to invest would be more expensive than of the, you know, on, a, mm. on a discount broker than actual doing it. But it's better to lose like $10 or $50 in bad investments than losing 50000 yeah. when you're an adult yeah. from bad choices. So I can't say enough about financial education, starting it early with the kids. It really does start at home. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. See you next week.